Treehouse products are crafted to bring you the best that legal, delivered-to-your-door THC has to offer. Treehouse utilizes unique blends of carefully selected minor cannabinoids that get you lit in ways you've only ever dreamed of. From Delta-8 vape pens with innovative blends of Delta-9 and THCP, to the tastiest HHC-infused syrups and hemp flower pre-rolls on the planet, Treehouse has got you covered. Ready to delight in dank gummies and puff-powerful vapes? Head over to treehouse.com. That's T-R-E-H-O-U-S-E.com. There's only one E, not two, in treehouse.com. When you go there, get 30% off your order and a free Acapulco Gold HHC pre-roll. You can use the coupon code GENIUS. That's G-E-N-I-U-S. This offer expires August 31st, 2023. Grab your goodies and meet us for some fun in the treehouse. Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast, now part of the Finding Genius Foundation. I have two great guests today. I have uh, Barbara Laker and David Gambacorda. They're both in the Philadelphia Inquirer, and we're going to talk about artificial turf and how it's uh, not nearly as healthy as uh, we may think. And it has uh, actually quite a bit of problems with a uh, chemical release from it when it's in use. So thank you both for coming. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. If you would, yeah, to start, tell me a bit about both of your backgrounds and, you know, why you decided to cover these different topics. And then we'll focus in on this current topic. I'm Barbara Lee. I'm a reporter on the investigative team at the Philadelphia Inquirer. I came to the, what was the, well, what is the Philadelphia Daily News in 1993. Before then, I worked at the Seattle Post-Intelligencer, the Dallas Times-Herald, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, and I started in Clearwater, Florida at the Clearwater Sun. Right. And here we go ahead, and then I'll ask you another question. Go ahead. Sure. So I, I started at the Daily News, Philadelphia Daily News, in 2005, and over the years, I've, I've written for a, a bunch of different outlets. Um, Esquire and Political Magazine and Long Read um, and I've kind of focused on a lot of different topics but this, this one that we're spending a lot of time on this year uh, is unlike anything I've ever reported on before. Do you guys get to choose the topics you report on or only choose some of them or do you have to report on you know what the bosses want you to do like what's it like as a reporter? Well on the investigative team we have freedom to pick what we want to work on is a combination. Sometimes we are assigned a story, but usually that's more helping on breaking news. And so deep dives we do are generally our ideas that we come up with. And then, you know, the editor has to sign off on it. Okay. Uh, how did this particular topic come across your guys' radar? David? Yes. Perfect. So last year, Omer baseball player named David West died at Galea Blastoma. And he had spent part of his career playing for the Philadelphia Phillies. And um, as it turned out, he was the sixth former member of the team to die of brain cancer. And um, that kind of set off uh, an alarm bell in, in Barbara's mind and, and mine as well. And you know, we both had an interest in, in just trying to look into the issue a little bit more and, and understand if there could potentially be a connection 
between these cases because glioblastoma is, you know, a, a rare form of cancer. That was kind of the starting point for us last summer. You know, Barbara had connected with a bunch of different scientists who had lighted on the idea of did you possibly test something from the stadium where the Phillies had played in the veteran stadium. Fortunately, that was demolished in 2004. And so we just got creative and started looking around online, found samples of the AstroTurf in the field of the pet, uh, up for scale on eBay of all places. So we, we bought a, a handful of those little liberal, maybe I think the four by four squares in the turf. And, and Barbara had made a connection with an expert at the University of Notre Dame. Alpha Bay agreed to test two of the uh, samples, and two more were tested by a lab in Pennsylvania called how did you have the idea in the first place to point the finger possibly at uh, you know the artificial turf? Well, we started by talking to a number of researchers, those who had looked at glioblastoma, and we also looked at people who, or researchers told us that there was growing concern that there were chemicals in the artificial turf. And, and across the country, scientists are looking at this whole issue with these chemicals called, we hadn't even heard of what they were when we start, first started the story, but they're called PFAS chemicals that are in the news now a lot because there's just growing concern that it's causing or linked to a number of different cancers and affects your immune system, asthma, thyroid disease, high cholesterol, you name it, it's a whole gamut of health problems. And initially, years ago, researchers thought that the bigger danger was the crumb rubber. They're like ground up tires that were the used as the base of the artificial turf to make it softer and less hard. And that is still a concern. But what happened is a lot of the companies that make the turf moved away from the crumb rubber, but they still were using these PFAS chemicals because the PFAS chemicals make the blades of the turf stand upright and separate, and it looks more appealing to people. And the problem was these chemical companies, like Monsanto was the company that made the turf at Veteran Stadium, but all the chemical companies who make the turf, it wasn't like they told people that they were putting these chemicals in the turf. And so that's what, when in talking to a lot of these experts, as David said, like they suggested, well, you know, it'd be great if we could actually test it. But that way we could prove that PFAS was in the artificial turf at the vet. We just weren't taking a stab in the dark or saying that it could have been there. We we did that proves that they were in there. Well, one crazy thing is that, uh, you know, artificial turf could be outside or in a stadium. And it's, you know, it's not in a confined space. And people are, you know, five to six feet above it, unless I guess they get knocked to the ground. But still, it has these uh, very significant effects. I guess it just shows you, like, how powerful the chemicals are in the turf and how much they aerosolize and get into people. Right. And the, we found out was a, another, like, real big problem because when the chemicals are heated up, they become more volatile and they become way more toxic. And anyone who's on the turf inhales a lot more of the chemical when it's heated up. And we knew from David and I went to like the libraries at Temple University. We went to the archives for the city of Philadelphia and we found photographs and we found articles written about way back when that the turf often heated up when it was hot in the summer to like 160 degrees. And the players actually told people 
and they could remember like dolting their feet in ice water because it was so hot. So we knew the turf at the vet was extremely hot and we knew from science that when it is hot, it becomes a lot more dangerous. Also too, when people are running and changing direction and, you know, abrading the turf, you know, falling on it, ripping it, et cetera, I'm sure that releases more chemicals too, especially when it's hot. So correct. Yeah. Because the chemicals can be either inhaled, absorbed through the skin, and they, you don't need to have like cut on your skin. It can still get absorbed through the skin. Skin. And we later learned that like, well, you know, everyone knows that when you get real hot yourself, your pores open up. So it's more able to get into your skin and into your body that way. And we know that these chemicals stay in the human body for years and years and years. And they're called forever chemicals because they don't go away. Like they don't disappear in the environment. They actually like there are all these lawsuits across the country now where the PFAS chemicals have been found in the water supply in municipalities everywhere. That's crazy. Did you guys do any sampling of, you know, the air right above, you know, a piece of turf? Did you heat it up in the sun? Did you, you know, is there like lab work done by you or by a lab that you know to establish concentration or movement of these chemicals? Yeah, there are some studies that are looking at that. In particular, California has been, I think now for seven or eight years and working on extensive turf and cancer study because the turf is used in, I think, a, a great number of, of uh, recreation spots in California versus their soccer, but that's been in an area of concern uh, for legislators out there. You know, another thing that we looked at with, with the Phillies was the amount of exposure they had. You know, they were at that time, you know, they were playing at the vet for 81 home games every year. And on days when the temperatures in, in Philadelphia, like particularly in the summer, you know, we were having 90 or 100 city, the temperature on the field was 165 degrees. So they were, you know, and they're out there for three, four hours every day throughout the summer. And some of the players that had developed this cancer, like uh, Darren Dalton and John Dukovich, I mean, they had been, they've been with the team for years. Um, and, and in an era, a lot of other things and teams were using artificial turf as well, not just really, they were in getting that exposure really throughout the season, every season, you know, for, for 10, 12 Treehouse Live Rosin Liquid Diamond Vape Pens combine the impressive taste and potency of live rosin extract with the power of liquid THC diamonds to bring you an unrivaled buzz and mouth-watering flavor profile. If you like getting lit, head over to treehouse.com. That's T-R-E-H-O-U-S-E.com. One E, not two. When you go there, take your vape game up to new heights. Enjoy 30% off your order. And get a free Acapulco Gold HHC pre-roll when you use coupon code GENIUS. Again, that's G-E-N-I-U-S. Hurry because the offer expires August 31st, 2023. Treehouse, the best that legal, delivered to your door, THC has to offer. So how long were these players, how long was it before these players were getting the glioblastoma? Were they recent players or they had been playing for many years? I was going to say, these guys all developed their cancers after they had been, been done playing. The, of the six for the Philly, one was uh, Ken Brett, the, the brother uh, George Brett, the Hall of Fame, Kansas City Royals, uh, third baseman. Uh, there was Tug McGraw, John Zukovich, Darren Dalton, Donnie Oates and then David Wett uh, was the most recent. And so these guys all were playing for the Phillies during the period of time when their stadium was a veteran stadium, and that was open from 1971 through uh, 2003. So at the time that they started developing their cancers, for some of them in the early 2000s or a little bit later, um, you know, Major League Baseball, for the most part, had gone to another generation of, of ballparks and stadiums. Um, at, at this point, 
I think there's just now maybe five teams that still use artificial turf. So we've moved into Citizen Bank Park in 2004, and one of their big selling points, I think, the fans as well as the players was that they were now going to have a grand field again. Uh, I think this might be about the key NFL teams that are still using artificial turf. You know, just by and large, I think their you know, professional sports have moved away from her. You know, if you go back, as, as we did going back through their both the newspaper's archives and city archives, what you saw in the 70s and 80s was a lot of concern about players held through the, to the lens of injury turf field. You know, they were blowing out their knees, tearing up their ankles and toes and getting their arms and things like that. And that, that was a pretty consistent complaint throughout the life of the vet that you know, anybody that was playing down there, he was taking years off their career from physical damage. And it wasn't until much later, you know, this idea has come up, potentially they were those desirable chemicals. And some of the retired baseball players that we talked to for these stories, they made it clear that this is a pretty really constant topic of discussion among their peer groups now. But just for the guys that are in their 50s and 60s and 70s, you know, they're, they're seeing what's happened and seeing other friends of theirs have died of really awful disease. You know, now they're, they're all getting concerned and wondering you know, which one of us might possibly get this now. They bear no lawsuits. Not specifically over the vet, but I, we believe that couple may be in the work. And also all these players who died were all in their 50s. They were not like old men. And and it's such an aggressive form of brain cancer that, I mean, a terminal, like you don't really, you some people don't live past like 18 months with this disease. And some of the players had like benign brain tumors before the, it developed into glioblastoma. And we also know from more research that the most vulnerable par vulnerable parts of the body for the PFAS chemicals are the groin area, the armpit, and the neck because the places of the body that have the thinnest skin. And so if it was either inhaled or went through the skin and the neck, that would be like a, you know, a pathway to the brain. On the point of, of litigation, one of the follow-up stories that Barbara and I did uh, earlier this year we focused specifically on Darren Dalton, who'd been a catcher for Philly, and his ex-wife, Nicole, had, had recently retained Robert Goloff, who's been an attorney who works with the Taft Law Firm in Cincinnati. He has been, I think, almost 25 years now, all the litigation exposing what chemical companies like DuPont and 3M have known about PFAS. I mean, going back to the 1960s, there was even a, a, a movie made about him called Dark Waters, and uh, Mark Ruffalo played Bob, so uh, Nicole Dalton continuing to represent communities that think that to get to uh, contamination you look to the water supply uh, with, with PFAS and cancer clusters that have formed after that. So I, I think it's yeah, certainly possible that there, there could be some activity, you know, in that one. He might be the the best person to, uh, you know, to put forth these lawsuits because he's already wrangled with, you know, these large chemical companies for, for decades. So maybe you would have a, you know, you'd understand their tactics and their defenses and have a better time representing people. Oh, he's brilliant. I mean, he was the one who really uncovered the whole problem with PFAS because when he was first approached by that farmer in Virginia and because cows were dying and a farmer was sick, he got a lot of the documents through discovery from DuPont and when he first got the all these documents, I mean, boxes upon boxes upon boxes, and he was reading about a chemical they called C8, and Rob didn't know what C8 was. No one really did outside DuPont and the chemical companies, but it's it's PFOA, which is a type of PFAS that's been 
now, these days, been the most widely studied along with PFOS. And so he was the one who really put the puzzle together based on all the documents he was able to get through discovery. Crazy. Has there been a comparison of turf that is in a stadium that doesn't really see much sunlight versus turf that is outside, sees sunlight and heat, etc.? I don't know about that. I know that Graham Peasley, who was the who's the scientist at Notre Dame who tested it for us, he's looking at like different turf from different fields and different ages. So like he's looking, that's why he was interested in our turf because it was very old. It was 40 years old. And to think that the turf from the vet, the sample that David, the samples David got were 40 years old and they still had like, they looked the last in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, tested it for 70 PFAS and found 16. And so, and then he's comparing it to the PFAS that he's finding or looking at in turf that's newer. And it's in all the turf. Something that's also troubling is children will play sometimes on uh, artificial turf, you know, whether in high school or whether on the playground, crumbled rubber or whatever they're using for playgrounds. So has there been any uh, incidents of disease in children that play on these surfaces? Yeah, unfortunately, there's a, uh, a soccer coach uh, soccer coach in Washington State, Amy Griffin, who has been trying to raise awareness about this for being a part of a decade now. And basically what, what happened was she was hearing anecdotally of former players of hers I mean, you know, youth and, and teenage players who were developing cancer. And she began making a look of uh, just kind of jotting down any time she heard from a parent or from you know, a friend or a family member of a cancer case. So by, I think by, by about 2013 or 14, she had a, a few dozen names. Now it's more than 300. Um, and then Peter Caregiver was practicing several times a week or two hours at top and then playing you know, more weekends. You know, so again, they're having that higher rate of exposure than somebody just you know, kind of casually happened off the field. And she, you know, believed very firmly, I think, that there's a connection there between that ability and the cancer case. You know, it's just so far, I think, been, been an issue that has not fully broken through the mainstream, the public, you know. So there's still a sense, yeah, for I think a lot of people that turf make sense if you're going to be doing a large public project or school because, you know, it seemingly it'll be cheaper to maintain than a grass field. We are living through the your fear of extreme climate problem. You know, if you happen to be in an area that's becoming drought prone, you know, you've got one, one way to still have a, a place for kids to play. But, you know, the, the other side of that coin, I think, is there's still so much research that has to be done. There's so much more awareness that probably has to be raised about, about these chemicals. I mean, there's thousands of them, and few of them. But they're expected to study, so Barbara, I still had the feeling as we've been getting deeper into the reporting. You know, we're on a bit of point now where it's getting out there more. If there's reason to be concerned about these chemicals, no matter how you encounter them, you're drinking water or on your astroturf, you know, in a heat packaging, you know, dry cleaning. But there's, there's still, I think, a great deal more that. Because the chemicals are everywhere. They're like, uh, they were used in Teflon pans. They were used that Scotch guard stuff or the, the stain resistant material when they advertised that your carpet was stain resistant or your couch was stain resistant. Like food packaging when you get takeout, they're everywhere. And in fact, like they're looking at now the that PFAS in the blood of people. And almost every American has some level of PFAS in their body just from being exposed to it in different ways. But obviously, like the researchers believe that if you're the level of exposure and the amount of time you're exposed does make a difference so that if you're a either a child or and, you know, a pro player who's on artificial turf that raises red flags for people. 
because you're on your exposure is a lot more than the average American who doesn't play on those fields. Yeah, it's crazy. Has there been pushback on the reporting? Have you, you know, maybe it's the stuff in movies, maybe not. But I don't know. Have um, have you guys been threatened, or have there been counter? punches from industry we did hear from one was he a doctor david there was one he was a doctor there was a doctor who was trying to tell us before publication that the pfas doesn't cross the brain barrier and we were kind of you know like that alarmed us because we thought oh my god no researcher or expert had told us that and that would be a key fact if that in fact was true so we went back to numerous experts and researchers and we found studies that have been done that actually found PFAS not only just in the brain of people but in the glioblastoma tumor itself so and we mentioned that in the story we included that because that's important. It shows that it, it does cross the brain. They do cross the brain barrier. And Graham Peasley, the Notre Dame expert, who's like probably the one of, if not the foremost PFAS expert in the country or over the world, in fact, he's found and he knows that PFAS, once it gets in the body, it goes all over the body. There's no organ or no part of your body that says, no, I'm not going to take your PFAS. <laughs> like it goes everywhere. And so some experts now believe that wherever you have a weakened part in your body, like if you're predisposed to some form of cancer or some form of um, disease or because it affects the immune system also, it, it can, you know, they believe that it can attack you anywhere in the body if it chooses to. Yeah, well, I've read that about uh, about several things but yeah it makes sense starts because you mentioned uh sort of industry pushback and I, I think one thing that's interesting about that is uh just about a week ago 3m the chemical company giant agreed to a uh, pay up to 12 billion dollars to settle lawsuits that have been filed against the company from cities and towns across the country for PFAS water contamination. And, you know, as part of that settlement company didn't make no fault of course but they emphasize that they are going to exit from PFAS manufacturing in the next years. Yeah, by 2020. Right, right. So it, it kind of it reminds me a little, it's not a perfect parallel, but in some ways, the tobacco industry, you know, where you, you I think for years have a, a pretty well-coordinated campaign to make people think that you know, there's not a health risk, or that it's there, it's sort of minor. And you know, in talking with, with Rob before, he certainly saw that over the years when I came to PFAS, it was a pretty healthy industry least information campaign went on. I know we got asked a lot online, specifically I think on Twitter when we published our first story, you know, well, if you know, these chemicals are in the turf, then how come everybody doesn't have cancer? How come the eagles don't have cancer? Because they played the bet too. And and I think it's mostly people just asking who genuinely interested, but I maybe some small degree there's you know, some hope of, of trying to discredit the story by raising that question. But, you know, Barbara and I are, I mean, we started this out with having no background knowledge in these chemicals and, and, you know, have really deferred every step of the way in our reporting to actual scientists and, and have really been very careful uh, about how we frame things and how we phrase things and, and make sure that we're always sticking within the boundaries of, you know, what's been scientifically studied and been proven so far. So a lot at stake and, you know, the companies that, produce these things if there's a problem they're going to fight to the death to you know to say it's not them right definitely and i think some people have you know problem thinking that well if these chemical companies were producing this or using it in manufacturing for decades and if they knew these chemicals could potentially be hazardous why would they do that and i think that's 
you know, that's a good question. And the problem is, is that there are internal memos that these companies have that go back to the 70s and 80s where they knew that these chemicals were, were causing birth defects when women were on the assembly line like close to the PFAS chemicals, they were pregnant. They ended up having, some of them ended up having babies with a very similar birth defect. And so I think that nobody like would like to believe that the chemical companies knew that far, you know, that long ago that these chemicals were dangerous, but still kept producing. Well, I guess uh, people think that you know, these companies are out there to help them, but uh, unfortunately I'm, I'm way too jaded to think that. I guess not enough people are. What What's next with the reporting and with the evolution of the story? I don't know if you've seen similar stories to this, but what do you think may happen over the next you know, year or two, or is this going to be five or 10 years before it really gets anywhere? Like, what are your thoughts? I think with the turf art, I do think that that will heat up. And I do think that there could be a potential where there's more municipalities or bills introduced that would stop it's the use of artificial turf. I think that's a potential. And with all these lawsuits filed on the, especially with all the lawsuits filed against chemical companies for putting the PFAS in the water supplies. And, you know, there's just, because it's everywhere and I think people are realizing and then becoming more fearful. The EPA for years did not get involved in this whole issue and they now have put, like they are proposing a, a limit in PFAS in the water supply, like so low that it would basically be virtually non-existent. And the e with the EPA doing that, I think it opens the door for more litigation or more movement to stop the production of these chemicals in whatever it is, whether it's artificial turf or food packaging. And some cities are actually doing that. Oh, you know, with the, the issues involved in the movie Dark Waters, did that reduce the use of PFAS in certain uh, circumstances or... Was it just kind of a speed bump and it's just, you know, it's everywhere? Well, I think as a result of, I mean, I don't know for sure if we can like link dark waters to what's happening, but I do think that there clearly have been a lot of cities who were, who started testing their water supply, Philadelphia included. And Philadelphia was one of the cities that is suing the chemical companies, including 3M for, for putting the PFAS in the water supply. But there are also like naval bases, like in suburban parts of Philadelphia that use the firefighting foam and that the PFAS from that often got in the water supply. So you never know like exactly the source, like how the PFAS got in the water. All they know is that they are all the cities across the country are testing their water to find out, especially with this new EPA standard or proposal for the standard that they don't have PFAS in the water supply. Yeah, well, it sounds like it's not going to be a good thing. I was just wondering, you know, I didn't think Dark Waters was tied exactly to this, but I just wonder if, uh, you know, all that litigation and everything reduced the use of PFAS in various applications, or is it has it had no effect as PFAS usage continued to increase and accelerate more and more applications? That's a really good question. You know, I think one of the things that came out of our conversations with Rob before was just understanding that for, for many of these companies, you know, if in the case, we want to reuse him as an example where he identified their kicking or chemicals to, you know, cases that he sued over. You know, I think that all told there's 12,000 different types of PFAS. So, it, you know, in some sense, easy for them, for a company to say, all right, we're going to stop using, you know, as a result of this litigation, we're not going to use this one particular one anymore. And then just sort of 
mm-hmm. each different one dead. And I think that gets that probably a bigger picture if you would use it in, that, in terms of progress over 10 years, uh, just how regulation works in, in the United States. You know, for some of these companies, they didn't have to test these chemicals extensively first and determine whether or not they pose a public health risk and, and get, deal with that EPA regulation on the front end. You know, they use them in manufacturing for decades and decades, and then once somebody comes along and strings together a whole host of different elements, that's when, like, the regulation begins. So I think we seemingly have it backwards in that regard, and I, I don't think that, you know, dark water has changed that overnight, but, you know, maybe we're getting on the road to smarter policies, uh, but I'm sure it's deep that in it. The next two months. <laughs> okay. Oh, no. Well, very good. Where can people go to keep tabs on the evolving story? What publications should they look at in your recommendation? Well, we work for the Philadelphia Inquirer and we're continuing to follow this. We should have another story coming out this month. That's one place people can go. Publications across the country are starting to look at this. There's studies online. Like if people just do a search for PFAS and whatever they in their town or whatever they want to search involving the chemicals, a lot will come up now because so much is being written about it and it's the whole issue is magnified right now. Okay. Well, very good. Both of you, thank you so much for coming on and talking about the reporting that you're doing. And it sounds uh, incredibly important. Thank you for what you do and for covering this. Well, thanks so much. We really appreciate you having us. Thank you. No problem. Remember, before you go, You've got to check out treehouse.com. That's T-R-E, only one E, T-R-E-H-O-U-S-E dot com. They offer an array of premium legal THC products, including gummies, vapes, pre-rolls, and more. And they're all delivered right to your doorstep. With unique blends of carefully selected cannabinoids, all rigorously lab tested to ensure quality and consistency, Treehouse products give you the buzz you simply can't get anywhere else. Head over to treehouse.com. That's T-R-E. H-O-U-S-E dot com. Remember, there's one E, not two. And enjoy 30% off your order and get Acapulco Gold HHC pre-rolls when you use the coupon code GENIUS at checkout. Hurry because the offer expires August 31st, 2023. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.